Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. It's Academy Awards season. Yes, it is. Is it ever not some kind of award season? <laughs> <laughs> well, not when it's winter out. No, there's no question that there is. But we do. The Academy Awards were just announced two days ago. Yes, the nominations for the 89th Annual Academy Awards. And I have just one or two things to sort of comment on, and I'm sure you do too. So we'll get right into that first before we move into some other things. I'm going to make a major statement. <laughs> Is it going to be hashtag Oscars so Lala? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so clever, O'Toole. So clever. Well, I'm, I'm done. I, I was I'm done with to the them. Academy Awards, okay? And I'm going to tell you why. Whether you want to hear or not, I'm done with the Academy Awards because for la 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 la, and my hands are <laughs> my, over my ears as I say it, la 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 land, getting 14 nominations, which ties for the most nominations in the history of the Academy Awards, when yes. I have figured it out. Uh, you know, by the way, I'm not the only one that says it's not worth watching, by the way. I started to read about it, and some people that I respect a lot sit in my camp on this, and I decided it's because it's so self-serving to the Hollywood elite that really are the ones who make these nominations because it's just sort of a, you know, oh, what we wish Hollywood, you know, this it's this esoteric thing that we Hollywooders want to be seen as. And I think it's a vision they'd like to be seen as when the truth is it's totally self-absorbed, ridiculous, and not even well done. So I'm done with the Academy Awards. I just want to go out saying that in a very big way. Well, did you hear me or did, do I need to say it again? Did you? I, I could hear you in my you can, head okay. as they were live streaming these nomination announcements for the first time ever. But did you see where one of our listeners sent us a link to the Aziz Ansari Saturday Night Live skit where he gets arrested for falling asleep halfway through La La Land? <laughs> what do you have to say for yourself? What do you mean? La La Land is a perfect film! Whoa. You know, it reminded me of Elaine on Seinfeld, The Year of the English Patient, when it got all those nominations. Well, there you go. The other reason I'm in a rage is because Taraji P. Henson not being nominated is sacrilege, considering others who were and the performance that woman put in. And while I don't take away from her... Her fellow actor, who was nominated... I love Octavia Spencer. I love her. Yes. Okay, and she was great, but it was not the same depth of performance. And, uh, you know, I am but just... But it was I for just, Best Supporting. It doesn't matter. It still wasn't the same level of performance. And what's interesting about it is I figured it out. And I mentioned this in our podcast before, but I think she wasn't nominated... Because nobody liked her speech at the Golden Globes last year. You know, it, ha- it was it just fell on flat ears. Nobody was happy with it. And I understand it. It was sort of ridiculous. But... Well, I have my um, own theory on this. Okay, tell me. First, congratulations to Hidden Figures for what it was nominated for. Because what's the last PG movie you can remember getting a nom for Best Picture? I don't know. But for that, it not to be included no, when it was included me, in so many other things? Come on. No, but that to me was exciting. It was included for Best Picture. There were three PG-13 movies in the race. But a huge shout out to Donna Giliotti, who's up as being the producer on Hidden Figures. This is her fourth Oscar nomination. She won for Shakespeare in Love. She was nominated previously for The Reader and Silver Linings Playbook. And do you know what those three prior noms have in common? Jennifer Lawrence? Yeah. Well, she's not the common thread, but every time Donna Giuliani has been up for Best Picture, the leading actress in her film has won the Oscar. 
for Best Actress. And even now with Hidden Figures, Octavia Spencer is up for Best Supporting. Well, with all due respect, you know, the fact that Henson's not nominated, I think, they're, I think they should be ashamed. It's really ridiculous, okay? Well, there are so many people that I thought did a fantastic job this year and weren't nominated. For example, this was Meryl Streep's 20th nomination, but Oh, please. No. It's because of the speech she gave at the Golden Globes, and that's why they nominated her. But no nomination for Annette Benning. Some year, I would like to see Annette Benning win a rival it, I, I couldn't agree more. for and the I, I, I second I number just, of nominations. Eight in I this apologize. Group. I apologize and to Amy her. Amy Adams wasn't nominated, even though, you know, almost everything else about a rival was. So, you know, there's... I don't know. There's always these uh, Well, and then we have, Den- you know, Denzel, you know, so if he's put it, it's the best picture category and he's in for best actor and she's in for best actress. And considering those are the only three things that actually happen in that movie, it's shocking to me that he doesn't get up for best director, which, by the way, I don't think he would deserve because I think he directed it as if it were still on the stage rather than on the screen. However... I just, you know, these things just don't make any sense. And Well, as you've pointed out before, I never understand when a movie's up for Best Picture that the director doesn't get nominated. I, like Ted Melfi for exactly. Hidden Figures. I know. But um, And I, Jessica Chastain, Miss Sloan. I know you didn't love Miss Sloan, and I did. But her performance certainly was much, had a level of difficulty that was much stronger than some of the women who were in there. And I don't want to mention them because you know what? Uh, bless you all, and everybody should get an Academy Award nomination and have that lovely night, you know, to celebrate in their lifetime because I think actors work really hard, and I'm sure they all did. So I don't want to take away who shouldn't have been nominated. What I do want to say is there are those that should have been. And But I was very glad to see Alison Schroeder and Theodore Melfi up for Best Adapted Screenplay for Hidden Figures. Ted Melfi also directed the movie. And kudos to him because he took his name out of the running for the Spider-Man reboot to do Hidden Figures. And just to show the strength of this screenplay, and it goes back to the acting categories, Octavia Spencer was the first actress to sign on. So Donna Giliotti approached her. She read the script and Octavia Spencer said, I'm not sure which role I want to play in here because they're all so wonderful. And that is the hugest compliment you could give to a screenwriter because with these best actress categories and best actor, if you're in a piece that is such a strong ensemble, I think a lot of those actors are overlooked. Well, I, you know what? And I couldn't agree more. Well, you know what else I was thinking that was not up for best animated film? I wonder if they're having a crisis of confidence, meaning right now at Pixar, that Finding Dory didn't get nominated. Well, you know, you know, I know, I know you love your little Dory's. No, I haven't seen it. But when you think about I how know, many Pixar should, movies. Because you know what? It'll make you a happy girl. So I think you should go. Have you seen it? No. Of course. No, no, but I'm finding not the one Nemo who wants didn't to make see me it. happy. You know I mean? No, but I, if I wanted to see it, I would have seen it by now. But I mean, when you consider Pixar's incredible batting average of when they make a movie, it usually either wins the Oscar or is at least nominated. Yeah. yeah. I know you want to go back to the positive, but I thought the dressmaker should definitely have gotten a nod for costume design. Well, I mean, yeah. When absolutely. the director pitched it as unforgiven, but with a sewing machine and haute couture, the costumes in the dressmaker were breathtaking. And Ava DuVernay, who brought us Selma, she's up this year for Best Documentary for 13th. Yeah, but there are a couple of documentaries that are missing also. For example? Wiener. You know, I never saw that. I, I, I think it belonged in there. I just don't believe in the... I think these nominations are based on 
who's who and how Hollywood works. And maybe they should be, you know, there should be juries or something that are brought in that just have a bigger understanding of what of what should be in a movie. Because I, I think they're very disappointed. More so than the 6,400 or so members who belong to the industry. Yeah, well, yeah, but, you know, again, how many actually saw... Um, you know, saw the performances of, of some of the things that were overlooked. How many, maybe they didn't see the dressmaker. It's still predominantly men, white men over the age of 50. So if that's true, isn't it interesting that the things that you say are missing are movies they would have no interest in viewing? This is why Hidden Figures just makes me so happy. I can't, well, you know? Here's the thing. I, you can't be happy about Hidden Figures without her being without her being in the nomination. It's so no, I can. Ted Melfi is a white man who directed it and he wasn't nominated for best director and yet no, it's up for best picture. But she is the movie. I mean her performance no, makes I, that movie what it is. No, I think she did an amazing job but every actor in that movie down to the child actors I thought gave flawless performances. Well, then isn't it interesting that only one got nominated and she happens to be the darling. So I you know but I, I think know. she's a darling for a reason. I think she's extremely talented. Well, yeah, but I, again, if you look at the time on the screen and the effort and the level of difficulty she had, I, I, I felt that the level of difficulty was ten times harder than the one who, you know, than and then than See, her her neighbor. I thought it was a great part, but Janelle Monae I thought was equally good. Yeah, I, you know. Anyway, that's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And. I just wanted to say, once again, a movie that Brad Pitt produced is up for Best Picture. He was one of the EPs for Moonlight. Well, there you go. It's, so you go, it's Brad. It's a very strong track record. Yeah, he might need the money that he would get by it winning. So, Okay, did you see um, where Amazon got their first ever Best Picture nom? I know. Good for and them. And Netflix got three nominations. It's definitely a shifting landscape. And you know what? I'm glad. So let's move on, though. Let's move on and leave these awards behind. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, a few things. Now, O'Toole, guess who's celebrating the 30th anniversary? Like which movie? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that, this is not a trick back, question. Be, well, I'm thinking back. This would be like 1987. Okay. That's, you know, it's, so, see, only you would do the math, but okay. So that would be before it's Dirty Dancing. Sally. Dirty Dancing. Oh. And just to celebrate, they're going to re-release it on the 29th and 30th of this month across the nation where it will be shown at many theaters. So if Dirty Dancing was one of your things... You can definitely check out going and seeing it on the big screen, perhaps this one last time, on the 29th or the 30th. But and you know who was in that movie. I do know who was in the movie, do you? <laughs> no, but as a, as a supporting character, Mrs. Gilmore. Yes. Oh, we love Mrs. Gilmore. But she really played mm-hmm. a buffoon, and I mean, a, a totally, you know, brainless wife who had no idea what was happening with either of her children. But did you know that it was the worst film shoot ever? No. In what way? Yeah. It was shot in North Carolina and it rained for two months. So that's why, that's why much of the movie is in the rain because they just couldn't wait for the sun to come out anymore. And then they were shooting it in September and it went into October and it got so cold that the leaves started to change color. So they spray painted the leaves green. I swear as God is my witness. Really? That alone makes me want to go back and rewatch the the movie. The chemistry between Swayze and Jennifer Grey, I'm sure you've read 
was not, it wasn't that it wasn't good. It was filled with hatred, which just goes to show women are very good at pretending. They still pulled off <laughs> no, the lift. not happy campers. But anyway, I remember enjoying the film when it came out. Yeah. You know, it's got some great moments in it. When I was teaching English in Germany, some of the kids had just seen that movie. They were little, little kids, right? They wanted to demo for me, the American, a scene from that film. And I turned around and they were doing the lift. But what was hilarious is that a girl actually had a boy in the air because she was stronger. Of course she did. Uh, you know, hello, 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 hello. I, this doesn't surprise me in the least. All right. Now, as promised, I did watch the first two episodes of The Young Pope. Oh, and <laughs> I can't believe we're going from Dirty Dancing to the Young Pope. Well, but go I think ahead, it's take all us the there, Hollister. Genre, you know, so that alone okay, just so sums up why it, I haven't know, it tells seen this one of them. Controversial story of Pius the Thirteenth, who actually was a real person, Lucian Pulvermacher. Have you ever heard of him? Now, Lucian Pulvermacher was that Pope Pius the Thirteenth. Yes, and he was a traditional. Was he um, the Nazi era one? No, no, he was a um, traditional traditionalist schismatic Roman Catholic priest, and he was head of the true Catholic Church. This is the small conclavist group that elected him Pope Pius the thirteenth uh, in October of nineteen ninety eight in America. You just used three words in a sentence. I'm not even sure I could spell. Well, by the way, but... I had to look them up, but I cannot <laughs> tell you what they mean. Okay, so he he resided. What, what year are we talking about? Nineteen. I, I just said it. Nineteen ninety eight. Keep with the program. 1998? Um, yeah. He resided in Spring um, Springdale, Washington in the United States, and uh, he was a he was elected their pope. So, so it's loosely based on him and the creator of the show. I love this. He said, it's not wildly inaccurate. Now, I'm not quite sure what that means. I don't even know. I don't even know how to decipher for you what that means. Like, not wildly inaccurate. Does that mean it's inaccurate? I mean, something's inaccurate or it's accurate. Wildly inaccurate. I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to go with the I fact. I think that means we've lowered our standards uh, yeah, somewhere along the way. Yeah, I have to say, I'm going to go with it means it's all fiction, okay? <laughs> um, but I, of course, watched it because, you know, Jeweled Law, as young Pope, who I'm still in love with him after he was the coolest widower ever in Holiday. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you know, anything he's in, I'm in. So, but he said for him, the reason he did it was the opportunity to work on something four times longer than anything he'd ever done gave him the, the moment to be able to draw developing the character in a really, really big way. I thought that was really interesting. So it's an eight-part series by HBO, and it's directed by Paolo Sorrentino, um, who won an Academy Award, you'll remember, for The Great Beauty. And it was all shot in Rome, although not at the Vatican. So they actually rebuilt the Sistine Chapel in its real size, I guess, because they could. You know, so Did they even have the murals painted? Yeah, they did. Now wow, HBO, it's amazing they could find know, somebody right? to recreate something you know, so I feel like HBO is the benefactor rich uncle. You know what I mean? Like it you can do anything. Exactly. The exactly. Chapel in okay. the Vatican. Okay, and look, I'm not a Diane Keaton fan. Anybody who's listened to us knows, but I think she won me over with this performance. She's really, really good. And over Who does she play? I know, right? She plays the nun. His the nun who raised him. Oh. And believed in his greatness all along. And I'm only in, you know, there's eight parts to this series, and I'm only in the end of part two, so I can't tell you too much more than that yet. But but I think what it is, is I think it's a unique com- combination of wit and drama. And I think, I mean, it's some of it is really funny. I mean, there are moments that are just plain funny. I mean, there are moments in the confessional box that are funny. So I, I do recommend it. 
so far. Huh. Huh. Okay. Do you have anything, anything you want to ask about or add to or anything? Guess not, huh? No, I don't think so. I think okay. That pretty much summed it up. Well, I guess we heard from a lot of our um, listeners this week, huh? Did you have some things you wanted to roll up through? We did. One sent us a link to last week's W Magazine, where they had an article called Female Roles in Blockbusters, Sadly. <laughs> and I applaud all these people out there who actually gather these statistics because it cannot be easy. But they said two interesting things. One, they said that female moviegoers now outnumber male moviegoers in America. But sadly, on the screen, says the article, it's still a man's world. Okay, so of 2016's top 10... I'm surprised. Does this surprise you in any way? None of this surprises me, but what's really good is that... Um, as female directors increase, then so will female, you know, protagonists and main characters. And I think that Although, will help too. not to jump the gun, but in this week's film, 20th Century Women, that was written and directed by a guy. Yeah, but he, he understands women, he does. But okay, here's the statistic. Of 2016's top 10 grossing films, just 27% of the dialogue belonged to female characters. Again, I'm amazed by whoever collects these stats. There was only one film in the top 10 where female characters had more lines than the male characters. It was Star and that Wars, was, wasn't it? Wasn't it? No, it was Finding Dory. Huh. But wait, of course, but the voiced woman by in Ellen Star DeGeneres. Wars who plays, didn't she have more lines than? This is very interesting that you bring that up because they said the big surprise was Rogue One. Uh-huh. So despite the fact that it had a female lead, according to this article, it had a smaller percentage of female characters than any other movie in the top 10 and it came in close to last for lines actually spoken by a female character Mm -hmm. they point out they didn't even have a female droid well you know the hunger games was not was was last year not this year it would be interesting to see how much of the dialogue belonged to whom yeah well you know she didn't talk much she just ran (laughs) with all that running and shooting um now i want to revisit last week's list of six where we did our six saddest movies because we had some really interesting comments from our listeners. Val mentioned a movie that I thought was so sad when I saw it, I totally repressed it. So I couldn't even come up with it when I was doing my three million dollar baby. You know, it's so funny because I know it was really sad. I just, it doesn't strike. I, you know, I, you know, there's something wrong with me. There really is. Because I, I read that from her, and I, Val knows that I love her, and I think she's really smart and witty and very well, very knowledgeable, by the way, in film. Extremely yeah, knowledgeable. And I, I just didn't have it at the top of that list there. But you're right. There's a sad oh, moment. Oh, my goodness. Okay. That scene with the tongue. I I barely made it through this movie. And I was like Val in that we didn't know anything about the movie before we walked in to see it. So she had written us that she hadn't seen the trailer. Nothing had spoiled it for her. And I went on opening night. So I just knew it was about a female boxer. Yeah. And this is what Val said. I thought this was so funny. Quote, I expected a certain ending, but boy, was the rug pulled out from under us. And I loved that, even though it was a gut punch. No pun intended. (laughs) Val can't help herself. I I find her comments hilarious. Okay. The other one was from Lalu, and she mentioned the film Dancer in the Dark, which I had on my short list, and I took it off at the last minute. That movie, Bjork, who played the lead, the woman who was going blind... She, Bjork, said that that role took so much out of her, she vowed she would never act again. And she hasn't. I mean, that's how sad it was. And this is what Lalu had to say. Quote, I watched the movie in a theater located on a busy avenue in Brazil. I felt like throwing myself in front of a bus when I left. (laughs) 
Oh, dear. So I'm with them. I thought those were two great yeah, contenders great for the saddest movies ever and made. And I just, again, would like to say that it was O'Toole's idea to do it. So the fact that we had to take you to the dark side again was not my idea. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Okay, so this this week, because we're going to review 20th Century Woman, we decided to do movies with the word woman in it. Uh, well, it's 20th Century Women. So movies with women or women. Yes. And I'm going to start, if that's okay. Absolutely. You go, girl. Okay. I'm going to start with Cassavetes and Gina Rollins in um, Woman Under the Influence. Oh, that's a great yeah, choice. Yeah. You know, uh, first of all, I love Cassavetes. And, uh, you know, I I should go back and rewatch all his films with a with the mind toward thinking more about them. And I also love Gina Rollins. I do. Mm-hmm. I think she's an amazing, amazing actor. And I think the story is so isolating and brilliant and so well done. You know, I heard an interview with Gina Rollins, and she said something I thought was so great. She said that role was written for her by her husband, who gave it to her as a gift and said, play it however you'd like. She said it was the toughest role she ever did, but she said when you feel loved, you're liable to do your better work. And I loved loved that their kids were watching them make this movie inside their house because they really were the the kings of independent movies. And she later did The Notebook with her son, Nick Cassavetes, and she did Broken English with her daughter, Zoe Cassavetes. I mean, how many people can say that? Okay, and here is one quote from Gina Rollins. I always, always wanted to be an actress. It came from reading so much. Acting itself is much like reading a book. My mother taught me to read quite early. And as I read, I began to realize that you didn't have to just live one life. You could be a lot of people and do a lot of things. And it it caught my fancy. So that's mine. What about you? All right, Hollister. (laughs) For my first one, I'm choosing Scent of a Woman, the movie in which Al Pacino finally won his Oscar. Yeah, but it had nothing to do with women. No, but it has, it, it, it met the requirements. It has woman in the title. And besides, it lets me say, Hoo-ah! After the stats you just laid out, the fact that there, no woman even speaks, let alone anything else, you know, I just think that's an interesting choice. That's why I just want to say that. Well, I thought you'd cut me some slack because Josh Lyman from West Wing was in it. I don't remember, I didn't remember that he was, but I love Josh Lyman. Yep. You go, Josh. Okay, so pretty woman walking down the street. And pretty you woman. are scoffing at my choices. Okay, okay and that's okay, all fine. I have to Put say the about it because we spent an entire hour discussing it. So if you want to go back to our earlier podcast on Pretty Woman, do so. But clearly, that's at the top of my list. So your turn. <laughs> okay, I'm putting down Woman of the Year. The first ever pairing of Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. That's a good one, actually. I like that one. Who went on to make nine movies together. They played dueling reporters at the same newspaper. Mm -hmm. She, of course, did foreign affairs while he did sports. It won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. And Katherine Hepburn received an Oscar nod, her fourth nomination. And my third choice is Winona Ryder in Little Women. And that's the 1993 version of it, which I liked better, actually than the earlier version. I think that's when I started to really love Winona Ryder. I think she has great depth and I wish she acted more. I wish people chose her more. I know she wants to act more. I, I saw an interview with her a couple of years ago. She said she's not really called for roles so much. So 
so that's mine. Was it that little shoplifting incident? That uh, might have yeah, derailed our career a little bit. I don't think we bit. need to go there. <laughs> no, I don't either. Okay, for my final one, I'm putting down Pedro Almodovar's Women on the Verge of a Nervous yeah, Breakdown. Well, that's pretty good, yeah. I loved that movie. I thought it was so original, so quirky. I've always loved his casting. This featured a young, pre-Hollywood Antonio Banderas. I mean, the gazpacho. Need I say more? Yep. Sounds like a good one. Which leads us into 20th century women. Men always feel like they have to fix things for women or they're not doing anything. Just be there. Somehow that's hard for all of you. Well, I'm not all men. Okay, I'm just me. Well, yes and no. I see the shapes. Having a kid seems like the hardest thing. How much you love the kid. You're just pretty much screwed. I'm, I'm going to start with introduction to this film because we know I'm a stickler for uh, for titles. And I love the movie, but the title is that she was not a 20th century woman. You know what I find very curious about this title and the tagline? Because here's the tagline. The story of three women who explore love and freedom in Southern California no, during the no. late 1970s. I actually thought this movie was about a boy. Which would be a great name for a movie. Also, I mean, but, he's the narrator of this movie. I think everything yes. focuses around him. Look, she, yep. uh, obviously, Annette Benning, who, you know, she was should have been nominated on Tuesday, but she wasn't. She knows how to age gracefully without doing anything to herself. And I, for that, I am forever grateful. I do love Annette Benning. You know, she was kind of reminding me of Isabella Rossellini, another person aging naturally. And so to me, it was funny. There were these references to Casablanca showing Isabella Rossellini's mother. You know, it's funny, Hollister, watching this movie, I kept thinking, what does this movie remind me of? And then I thought, is it in the land of women with Adam Brody and Meg Ryan? I'm like, no, that's not it. And then when I thought about this narrative style where they mentioned the year and what was going on in that year. Which, by the way, he did beautifully, beautifully. When you were born, I told you life was very big and unknown. There were animals and cities and music. You'd fall in love, have passions, have meaning. But now it's 1979 and nothing means anything. And I know you less every day. I kept thinking, which movie is it? And then finally, when they showed the photo of the Birkenstocks, it came to me. Do you remember, um, this is now a few years back, at the P-Town Film Festival, you and I saw the movie Beginners? Yes. This is 2003. This is what the sun looks like. And the stars. This is the president. And this is the sun in 1955. And the stars. And the president. My parents got married in 1955. They had a child and they stayed married for 44 years until my mother died. Six months later, my father told me he was gay. I'm gay. In which Christopher Plummer finally won his Oscar. Yes. Okay, that was also written and directed by Mike Mills. That movie was about his real life father. Exactly. Really and this did one come out yeah. is about his real life well, mother. Well, he said it's a love letter to his mom and his sisters, although they moved sisters to uh, people who have rented rooms in their home, which I think makes mm-hmm. better sense, by the way, because I, I just think it works better. Um, yes. 
But, you know, but it's interesting because if Mike Mills, both of them were sort of true to life, it's interesting he did his father first when his mother was the one who really raised him, which just is so typical Mm -hmm. of the mother. It's always about the mother. What about you? It's always about the mother. Okay, Jesus. Uh, Yeah. She's so right. I mean, so much of that dialogue was right on the money, right on the money. Um, that Al Fanning is as good as her sister, maybe even better. She's her. It's a mesmerizing performance. She was so arresting, yes. but also creepy. But that scene where she shows him how to do the cool walk with a cigarette, that alone, the way she pulled that off, this was a very talented cast, well, every single person it in was, it. It was, but also when she's sitting... In her mother, who's a therapist, her mother's um, her mother makes her go to her group sessions for teenagers, and when mm-hmm. she's sitting in there with no dialogue, I uh, you know I think you know supporting I think she should be considered. I think she was really excellent in this film, but Lucas Jade Zuman, I, you know, I just felt he was too young. I felt he was too immature for the role, and he hadn't clearly, didn't even look like he'd been through puberty. So, Well, he's only supposed to be 15, and girls age faster than boys yeah, at that age. Well, she's supposed I to be two years he, older than him. But I, it was... Yeah, and I, 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 I kind of found that believable. She was, I did I not. I thought he was I felt he was miscast. Yep, I thought she seemed I years he, older than him. I thought he was wonderful. I liked his curly hair, his big eyes, the way he was on that skateboard. I thought he acted it beautifully. I just needed him to be somebody who looked like he wanted to have sex all the time, and he didn't seem to be that See, person. I thought he was perfect for that age where he's on the cusp of becoming that guy. Right. Stop. What? <laughs> Thinking that you know everything that's going on. No, I don't. I just think that... You know, having your heart broken is a tremendous way to learn about the world. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get it. But I, I saw an interview with Annette Benning, and she said, you know, he's a relatively new actor, and she said mm-hmm. that Mills had them do a lot of exercises together, like they danced together, they played games together, they did things to find that comfort level that was so important in much of the dialogue that they did together. And she said that she found that that really does help, that that sort of breaks down the barriers. And yeah, they really had that familial dynamic, which was critical for a movie that is about the writer and director's real life family. They really pulled that off. Greta Gerwig and Billy Crudup, we should mention too, they were both just in the movie Jackie. They were together. But those yeah. scenes where you see Billy Crudup and Annette Benning dance together, everyone in this movie had great body language. Greta Gerwig, that scene where she climbs into bed and she realizes that the boy is in the bed and then on the other end of the bed is Elle Fanning. Well, she doesn't climb in. She doesn't scene. climb in until she sees Elle's already there when she climbs in. She just standing Elle's there. already there. Yeah. And then she says, move over. I want to get in. And right yeah. when they so say, she, "Oh, it's yeah, okay," there's nothing know. going yeah. on. She doesn't know. I mean, she knows that she's there. But the other thing is, I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't find her as compelling as Elle Fanning or as Annette Benning. So maybe it was hard. Maybe her role wasn't as strong as their roles either. But they were so strong that I. I felt she was a little weak on the weak side. I liked them all. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. And I realized this is the fourth movie we've seen Greta Gerwig in, yeah, you well, know, but Annette Benning, I felt like this was as though she's still in The Kids Are All Right, 
but now officially she's a single parent. (laughs) But I could watch emotions flit across her face all day. Well, she's got, yeah, she's got that face. And also the way they, the way they put her face on the screen, the way he took all makeup off that he just, it was raw. It was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Now guess what the budget was? Guess what the budget was, Ochoa? I'm thinking it's got to be pretty small. Well, that's because you already heard me tell you it's seven million. No, I, no, but it's a movie that's character driven. There's no yeah. special effects. It's basically one location. Seven, it's five actors seven million dollars. And here's yeah, what I have to say about me. that: there was not an ego on that screen, even though there were nope. some major, major, major actors. And mm-hmm. I love that. You know, there was no. It was an egoless movie, and you could. I bet that it just. It, I bet it just played that way when they were when they were filming as well. So that budget of seven million dollars just reminds me yet again that sometimes the best movies are not the highest budgets, you know? Now let me ask you this. This film was nominated for Best Comedy at the Golden Globes. Yeah, I didn't Would uh, you uh, no. have categorized as a comedy? No, nor did I hear anyone laugh. No. No. I mean when I think about the themes they touch on very quickly, cervical cancer, lung cancer, DET, miscarriages, chain smoking, his near death experience, you know, Jimmy Carter and his crisis of confidence and this malaise that the characters are under and no, the nation I, yeah, is under. I agree. Not a comedy. We are at a turning point in our history. As you know, there is a growing disrespect for government. It is a crisis of confidence. Wow. He is so screwed. It's over for him. I thought that was beautiful. This is the kind of movie where it feels like an indie movie where the director is working out some issues with his mother. I totally applaud it in that Gina Rollins, Nick Cassavetti's way of that character study, you let the actors do what they are so good at, but at heart, I'm either uncomfortable or depressed more than amused. Well, I was amused. I definitely was amused through the whole thing. There were moments yeah. where I was amused, but, I, but I, taken I would not, as a whole, I, I would I'm definitely not depressed. have put this in the comedy genre at all. Now, also, did you recognize and the you house? you know that I'm a little vulnerable to 1970s. <laughs> yes, it's the house from Running With Scissors. It is, and why do they do that? They don't need to do that. And I didn't want to say, and well, I recognized the house, and looked, I went and looked it up afterward, and I'm like, why did you do that? You didn't need to. Yeah, but they kept their budget to $7 million. I guess, I guess. Now, the other, they made a mistake. You know, decimals weren't used in stock prices until 2000. I know. I know. And yet, they did so many things so right to convey the 1970s. Just nowadays, I think they did. I mean, nowadays, just seeing people looking up stock prices in the paper... It feels like it was a well, hundred years ago. I think Mills gets to, you know, music, to, as you know, Pretty Woman really matters mm-hmm. to me. And I, Mills gets to pick whatever music was in his head when he was going through this semi-autobiographical piece that he wrote. But the music of the of 79, I mean, first of all, you're talking about, you know, Rod Stewart, Do You Think I'm Sexy was 79, I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor was 79, you know, YMCA, YMCA, The Village People, Hot Stuff by Donna Summer, and I didn't understand the music they put into this at all. I think they could well, have done much better. Is- 
Mike Mills has done music videos, and I think he chose the music that spoke to him because clearly they were into the punk scene. Well, also, so I think his 15-year-old I, self exactly, wasn't listening I, he, to Gloria He's Gaynor. allowed to use whatever music he wants, but if he wants it to appeal to those of us who were around at that particular moment, here's the one that was really missing, was Donna Summers in MacArthur Park. Yeah, but you see, Hollister, it's not about us. I know. It's about a boy. I know. Well, I'm it just really saying. Is. It's a little disappointing. I see the shapes. enjoy those scenes where Annette Benning is questioning the music they're listening to going this is terrible music like what is it about this music and when Greta Gerwig says yeah they might not be the best musicians but it's all about their passion and trying to find an outlet for that passion it underscored this theme of happiness no, I mean I, I get it I mean happy? I get what he was doing but to me if there's some such great music and such it was such a huge time for people who will be drawn to this film because of their experiences in the in the late 70s and that was a very very small group of people following the the music he was talking about so and I think See, you know if you think I'm sexy personal. by Rod Stewart a mother would go really that's what you're listening to you know, I mean, you could See, still. I don't it. think that boy would be listening to it because it was a very personal story that he was putting on the big screen to make it yeah. universal. Yeah. You know, um, one thing that he said, and I find this fascinating because, again, this was something that was similarly done in Beginners. This is a quote by Mike Mills. I am intrigued by inanimate objects. They're a piece of history, someone's statement and ideas of life. If this was your room, the stuff on your table would be telling me as much about you as you. As someone who grew up in a house where there wasn't a lot of talking, I'm used to just looking at the world. And in general, I often feel like I just don't understand what's happening. That everybody else does, but I don't quite get it. That camera technique I often call the alien that landed and doesn't know what's important. Yeah. And these scenes where Greta Gerwig's a photographer photographing the objects in her life. By the way, I thought I would love to see that show, you know, uh, you know, self, I think she called it self-portrait. And I would love to see a self-portrait show where you never see the person, but you see every belonging that they own. I think it would have been brilliant. And what is that magazine? Is it the New York Times magazine that has that feature in it where they ask a celebrity what objects they have on their shelf? I don't know. I've never seen it, I don't think. It's, it's pretty similar. Well, there you go. Did you have a favorite line in this movie? Um, I did, but I can't remember it. Did you? I had two. Okay. Well, I'll take one of yours. You go for both of them. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. One was when he asks Annette Benning if she's happy. Do you think you're happy? Seriously? Look, wondering if you're happy, it's a great shortcut to just being depressed. Okay. Well, that's an interesting line to be a favorite line. <laughs> Talk about without the, hope. Hello. Okay. <laughs> I know. But the other one was when she's talking to Greta Gerwig. You get to see him out in the world as a person. I never will. It's a beautiful moment. It is. There, you know what? There were so many lines in there that were rich that way too. Um, I know one of the lines that was rich when he says to to Elle Fanning, um, when he asks her, "Why do you sleep with people if you don't like it?" And she said, "Because half the time I do." And I thought that exchange about sex between the two of them was very eye-opening for him. And I thought it was very open and honest for her. And I thought it was interesting that it had been written by a man, because I know many women who would say the same thing. 
And yet it was written by a man who really was raised I know, by women. Exactly. You know, and it was about women trying to understand the boy and the boy trying to understand the women. And it did show when you're an only child raised by a single parent, how interconnected you are, where your narratives are so hopelessly intertwined. Now, who does it, it remind hard. you of that we interviewed about a year ago? Elliot. Yes. I felt that he could write female dialogue brilliantly. And he said, it's because I was raised by a single mom. Yep. Yep. And was a speechwriter for many famous right. women. And Elliot's last name? Elliot Thompson. And his movie was La Refuge. Absolutely. I thought that was a very touching scene, too, where... I wonder if it means that men should just leave the home and let the children be raised by the mothers. <laughs> and yet Annette Benning is out of her head worried that he really needs a man. I know. A male well, no, she doesn't life. say a man. She, in fact, she says... Initially, she does. And she tries to get Billy up to fill that position. And he's like, we have nothing in common. Yeah. And then she goes to the women. I think maybe you guys can help me with Jamie. How do you be a good man? What does that even mean nowadays? Don't you need a man to raise a man? No, I don't think so. I think you're what's gonna work for him. Well, it seems so real. You just feel guilty because it's just me and you. You don't know what I'm feeling. I think this should have really had more award options. I, I was surprised it didn't have a, a, a stronger play in the um, nominations. What about you? Kudos to Mike Mills. Yeah. I mean, he makes Beginners about his father and Christopher Plummer finally wins his Oscar at the age of 82. Yeah, exactly. He makes a movie about his mother and it's up know, for right? best original screenplay, which I think is the catch-all category for films, little indie films like that. Yeah. Yay to the writers and the directors who really craft such rich stories for the actors to really show what they can do. Although, again, I mean, at its heart, I'm pretty depressed. But you know me, I'm a lightweight when it comes to the 1970s. I know, I, you're just going to have to get over it. Yeah, exactly. And Annette, you were playing a character model on your director's mother. Yes. Did mm -hmm. you talk to him about the real life person or did you want to steer away from that? Oh no, we talked endlessly about her and we're still talking about her. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of us, there's a certain gulf between us and our parents, no matter how much we love them that there's a part of them that's kind of unknowable to us. And then the, the reverse is also true. I mean, I have four kids, so, you know, you know your children so deeply from when they're so tiny. And then now my, kid, my kids are, are young adults. But again, it's the same thing. It's, there's, there's always a, a longing to know more and a longing to understand more and that we're all so close and because we love each other so deeply, there's a certain blindness as well. And this is what Mike Mills had to say. I think we're afraid of both love and death, which is totally human. We're big, messy, complicated creatures. I'm sorry that made you sad, but I really liked it a lot. I just didn't like the title and I wished he'd changed the music. Other than that, Mr. Mills, I'm all in. So sweetie, I don't know if we ever figure our lives out. And the people who help you, they might not be who you thought or wanted. They might just be the people who show up. All right, we're going to move right along now to Victoria. My lords, now that it has pleased Almighty God to call to his mercy my uncle. Can't hear you. I know that I'm young. 
And some would say my sex puts me at a disadvantage. But I know my duty. And I assure you, I am ready for the great responsibility that lies before me. And I want to start off by saying, I, 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 I'm going to lay this at your doorstep and I don't want you to have a heart attack or start screaming at me, but I think it is 10 times better than Downton Abbey. <laughs> I was so sure you were going to go the other way. I'm like, why would I scream at you? I was so sure you were about to say that you didn't feel the love need for this. this portrayal of her. I love this woman in this role. I think she's unbelievably attractive and petulant and young, but old and responsible, but irresponsible. She's a dichotomy of opposites that I absolutely love. I, I think it's so well done. So interesting, Hollister. I went to pbs.org and I started watching. I thought, okay, these are the extremely high production values with which they spoil us, the architecture, the costumes, the lighting. And as I continued watching, I thought, okay, after Downton Abbey and a Royal Night Out and The Crown with a young QE2, <laughs> I wasn't sure I needed to see right away oh a young God, I love it. Queen Victoria. Love it. it reminded me so much, though, of The Crown, where you have a young queen. Here she's even younger. She's still playing with dolls. She likes her dog. She still has a governess. She's not that educated, but she studied the Constitution. They're trying to foist advice upon her. Who's going to be her closest advisor? She's even choosing the regnal name, just like in The Crown. In the proclamation, I'm referred to as Alexandrina Victoria, but I do not like the name Alexandrina. From now on, I wish to be called Victoria. Queen Victoria. There's the upstairs-downstairs dynamic like Downton Abbey, but at its heart, I didn't like the storytelling as much. Oh, I, thought I thought it was, it so was filled with exposition. So you see Rufus Sewell, and, you know, he's all desolate staring at this photo of a boy. And then later he says, you know, I don't know if I ever told you that I lost a son, but let me tell you that story now. I think the dialogue is far clunkier. I, I just... I think it weaves the tale in and out of people's lives. And, you know, here we are in episode two, finding out that he's lost a son when I thought maybe it was when his life, wife left him. I love that there are surprises layered in all throughout the entire thing. It's too early to really, really review it because it's only been, there's only two episodes out. And, you know, but I just, you know, I just think I love the way PBS does these types of things. I just... I just think they're exceptional, and I think they're so well cast, and I think the actors across the pond are really, really strong. I think everybody in it is really strong. I think her mother and the pain her mother's in, but she lacks the backbone to really look at this. It's just all beautifully, beautifully laid out. And Now, you didn't think that this was more prone to moments of melodrama? Well, I actually went and looked them up, and they happen to be true, so no, I don't. But they feel melodramatic the way they're portrayed. Well, but life so, can for be example, melodramatic, and how amazing I, that we can get to watch it. Why would you Ernst, take away the authenticity of how it really appeared? Well, I felt like it should have felt more authentic. 
whereas the crown felt okay, authentic wait. So to what me. You're For example, is it should feel authentic rather than be authentic. No, it can be both. Well, it, it can be authentic and feel authentic. Well, the, and here, I think it might have been factually accurate, but it was portrayed in a melodramatic uh, you way. See, I think, I think Let me give were, you an example. Yeah, I think those were melodramatic moments. For example, when the head of the servants burns her hand, turning on the gas, and jumps and recoils, and then you hear the foley sound of the flame. Or when they put the rats in the birthday cake. Or the Shakespearean book where she's underscored the passage about a serpent's tooth. I, did, I found those so um, entertaining, and I felt like they layered in the 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 drama and trauma of what she was going through, trying to decide who she was going to be. And if the more you, I mean, I've seen some of the other, I've read a little bit about the Queen Victoria and I've, um, I've seen a number of movies of later in her life. And I so enjoyed seeing what made her the woman she ended up becoming, you know, the frugalness and, you know, based on her, you know, her, her, um, her teacher's, uh, upbringing. I mean, it just it just helped explain who she became and how. I thought it was beautiful. I just I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. See, I would be giving this a higher grade if I hadn't just seen Downton Abbey oh, and The Crown oh, and maybe. Royal Nine yeah. Out. So, for example, in this portrayal you just of don't a queen, see any more of this stuff. Well, I'm saturated, but I probably would have told you I was saturated before I saw The Crown, and yet that still roped me in. Here, I feel some of the characters are kind of an English goth version of characters. For example, her Uncle Cumberland. Your Majesty. Uncle Cumberland. When will you be going to Hanover? I'm in no hurry. My first loyalty is to the British throne. I'm sure the people of Hanover will be sorry to hear that. But those people were like that. They were O'Toole. They, I you know, don't her, know. people Factually, were, very, yes, were but again, I mean, look, I went and looked it up. They were trying to declare her mentally incompetent to take away her power. I mean, that I, guy I was. I know a, that it's. it's I thought again, it was beautifully this goes laid to, out. See, again, it goes to factually accurate, but the portrayal comes across to me as too goth and too melodramatic. Yeah, I didn't find it that way at all. I found it absolutely right on the money. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved now, it. Now, did you recognize where we've seen Jenna Coleman before, who plays Queen Victoria? Uh, no, where? She played Trina Clark in Me Before You. Oh, oh she and did? I thought, Yes, she was the sister. And, you know, she convincingly plays a very young queen. Her eyes, I had to look by the up way, her age. Are, are, they're just spectacular. Well, I thought, is she really 18? In real life, she's 30. Yeah. Well, she. I think she plays the youthful part very well. And I think as it progresses, yes. we're going to see her age brilliantly right into to the spot around it. And I think her relationship with the prime minister and his concern for how it's going to be perceived. There are so many subplots in this, and I think none of them get confusing, and I didn't feel overly saturated in the hour that it was on. I just, I just think it's so well done. I think they always do these things really well. Now, Rufus Sewell, who plays that prime minister, mm -hmm. I haven't yet forgiven him for how he treated Kate Winslet in one of your favorite movies, The Holiday. Oh, well, Remember, he was her boyfriend that dumps her? Well, he didn't know. Would it be he had dumped her? He, he oh, used sorry. her. He, he, continued, he didn't that, dump her is the yes. problem. Dumping somebody is totally right. okay. okay. But yes, he and then he marries someone her. else. 
Um, well, I'm sorry you feel that way because you have to get over it. You have to let people do No, no, that. but this is what's funny because usually he always plays the baddie. So when I saw him in the movie, I kept thinking, oh my goodness, is he really going to stab her in the back? Or Because they've got all this other courtly intrigue going on where everyone else is vying for power. When I see Rufus Sewell, I just assume with that gravelly voice of his, it's like a whisper, a whisper gravel. I believe there's quite a crowd outside waiting to hear the proclamation. Perhaps now would be a good time to... Uh... Show yourself on the balcony. I love the way she says, you know, I'm my father's child. Remember that? I love the way she she actually learned to be patient and to sit it out to get him back. I, you know, I she just I, it just I think the the portrayal and the and the foundation it's laying for who she becomes later is just so well done. I love it, love it, love it. See, I'm constantly torn in how it's making me feel. I'm torn between, oh, this is a portrayal of a young female queen as girl empowerment. And I'm torn between it's this paternalistic, okay, all these scenes about she must marry so she can look but to her husband after Lord Melbourne. Yes, but I at watching it in 2017... I can't tell which tone they're trying to come down on. I think they're just trying to tell the story. I just wish the storytelling yeah. had a different voice. Well, yeah. I, you know, I got to, you know, across the pond, whenever I'm watching something from across the pond, I shake my head and say, well done, well done, peeps. Now, even when Lady Flora, that whole scene on her deathbed, you didn't find that melodramatic? You know what? I, 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 I don't know how many times I can say this before you allow me to have a different opinion. Yeah, no, I'm. I was fine with that. Look, life is not always um, in control, you know, it's not always controlled and melodramatic in life sometimes actually happens. And I don't have a problem with that at all. The thing is, when you compress the facts like that of a person's biography, you're compressing time and place. And so when you're telling the story in these one hour and two hour segments, the pilot was two hours, when you've got her suspicion that Lady Floor is pregnant. And then you've got the examination by the doctors. When you squish it together like that for the viewer, the pacing, I think, is off between the yeah. introduction of the character and the deathbed no, scene. I, I actually like that. And that's, pace. to me, yeah. what creates the, the melodrama. Worked for me. And also, when I went and read about it later, about the incident itself, you know, it was one of the incidents where she really learned. I think it's a great life lesson, that incident, of what some things are not always what they appear. And... I, I, again, the subplot of that I thought was brilliant. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. I do like the fact that it does underscore these facts about Queen Victoria. So, for example, the fact that she was the first of the monarchs to move from Kensington to Buckingham Palace. I find that interesting. And I remember when I first toured Buckingham Palace... You know, there's that statue of Queen Victoria out front, or the bust, yes. and her reign was so long that by the time they created that bust, nobody knew what she looked like when she was young. Well, now we know, and she was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, this is the other thing. When you look at Queen Victoria's reign from 1837 to 1901, and QE2 just surpassed this from 1952 to the present, I'd kind of forgotten that there's only 51 years between those two queens. Yeah. You know, I felt like Queen Victoria was longer back ago. Well, you know, I'm sure that p- the poor royals over there are like, please, God, please stop making these. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, at the same time, 
I, um, you know, I'm, I'm all, I'm all there. I'll watch them, you know, day and night. I think they're great, great, great. I think if anything isn't well done, it's what's going on behind the scenes, which I think they could spend a little more time on that perhaps of conversations her mother and the evil one might've had, or, you know, there could be a little more behind the scenes and a little less with her in it maybe would be helpful. But I, I, you know, I, I think they're all, all really, really, really well done. What about you? Well, those scenes between her and her mother, again, to me, it was so reminiscent of having just seen The Crown, yeah. watching Claire Foy play out that dynamic of a dethroned mother, if you will, and the new young queen. To me, that was a fascinating portrayal. Well, not just so the portrayal, but if you think about it, here's this young girl who was under the thumb, not even of her mother, but of her mother's, you know, advisor or whatever you want to call him. And was not allowed to make any decisions for herself, including what she even read. Okay, then all of a sudden she becomes queen and everybody reports directly to her. And that dynamic needs to change immediately. That's a huge, huge trauma, it would seem to me, for somebody who's, you know, 18 years old. But my point being that that very dynamic with QE2 got me emotionally much more yeah. in The Crown, um, where I see these decisions that Queen Elizabeth played by Claire Foy, has to make regarding her sister and her well, mother I, I would and her say, court I, and her I nation. I see that. I mean, I think, you know, but also she was a little bit older, and this is a young child who's also playing a part because she doesn't really know what the part is yet. I mean, they're, they're, I, I, I just think it was beautifully done, but I don't, I don't know that I could compare those two just because they're in very different parts almost. You know, Queen Elizabeth was much more prepared, really, for the role she was going to play. I mean, it came earlier than also, she anticipated, but she certainly knew she had, she had freedom. She had a life. She, you know, she had independence and Victoria had zero independence, you know. That, but then imagine losing all I that. I can't even imagine. See, yeah. that's like a huge yeah, fall. No, so, no. you know, and Queen Elizabeth II, as portraying the crown, had challenges that Queen Victoria never mm -hmm. would. The advent of television, for example. I mean, you know, for example, after Prince Albert's death, where Queen Victoria just put on black for the rest of her life and retreated from public view, you couldn't do that today with internet, social media, and TV that you just disappear for decades and come out, you know, for your royal birthday. <laughs> couldn't happen. Well, when Elizabeth did disappear a few times after Princess Diana's death, for example, that did not do well with her public. So no, you couldn't do mm -hmm. it anymore. But so I recommend this, though. I do. I think these I think these are wonderful ways to to sort of see history on the screen for an hour. I think it's very entertaining. It's entertainment and it's wonderful in my mind. So I highly recommend this. What about you? I got to say, I prefer Judy Dench's portrayal of Queen Victoria in Mrs. Brown. OK, so, yeah, which, you know, I watched that because you wanted me to. And I think this is much more entertaining, actually. Yeah, I'm just going to wait for season two of The Crown. Okay. All right. You do that. All right, so this was a big week for us. So thanks for listening. And two very different movies, by the way. A typical American <laughs> family and then the English-British royal family. I don't know. I think there's something cool about that. Don't you think that's right?